This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Unspeakable Joy. This morning I want to preach to you on the verse the devil hates the most. John chapter number 3 and verse number 16. John 3, verse number 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, I, I wonder whenever Brother John wrote that down, this was probably the first book that he wrote. Five books John wrote, the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and then the revelation there of Jesus Christ. Whenever he wrote down the Gospel according to John, he was no doubt the last Gospel to be written, but it was probably his first book that he wrote. I can't help but wonder when he wrote down verse number 16 if he ever had any idea that this would be the most renowned verse in all of the Bible. There certainly is no, no, no need to doubt that, that he did know that. I don't know that he did. I don't have a clue. But I can't help but wonder when he wrote down, penned the words there, when the Holy Ghost laid that verse on him. He's talking here in John chapter number 3 about the meeting that the Lord Jesus had with Nicodemus in the garden. They are right outside of the city of Jerusalem, probably in the Kidron Valley, maybe perhaps in the Garden of Gethsemane. We don't know that but he's somewhere outside of Jerusalem. And Nicodemus, that chief ruler of the synagogue, one of the chief priests there in Jerusalem, comes to Jesus and, and he asks them a question. He says, now, Rabbi, we hear all of these phrases of all the things that you're doing and all the things that you're teaching. And, and Lord, we know that, that you are a good man that's been sent by God to tell us the truth about the coming world. And Lord, I just, I want to know, how can I go and be with you in that coming kingdom? How how can I go and be in the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, except a man be born again, he, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus was about like some of us whenever we first got introduced to church and the Bible and things like that. We were thinking far too earthly about spiritual things. And he said, now, Lord, I've already been born by my mother. Does that mean I've got to re-enter my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus says to him, he says, no, Nicodemus, you, you're missing it, son. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He said, you've got to be born of water which is by the woman and then you've got to be born by the blood which is by the Holy Ghost of God and he gets into chapter number three and he writes down he says now listen he says how can I be born again and he's beginning to get into this thing about how being born again is not a physical thing it's a spiritual thing and Nicodemus says what do you mean Lord he says all right Nicodemus this is what I'm going to tell you he said just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness 
this, in the days of Moses, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up in that day. And just as the serpent that was lifted up upon the bronze post saved everyone that looks upon it, so the Lord Jesus, everyone that looks and turns their heart's eye to the Lamb of God there on the cross of Calvary shall be born again. Beloved, there are 787,183 words in your Bible. And this morning, there is a conference going on in hell. This morning, the demons and the devil all gathered together around the charred conference table there in hell. And as they gathered together, they said, Now, boys, listen, it is Sunday again. And we've already messed up on one Sunday when we weren't on our guard enough outside of the garden tomb. And we all know how that went for him that day when he, he placed death and hell there by the grave. And when Jesus Christ got up victorious on that third and glorious morning, he said, Now, we can't have another one of those instances taking place on a Sunday and so last night the demons and the devils gathered together and they started their conference and they said now all around the nation there are going to be people that gather in the house of God and all over the world there are going to be people that sit in a congregation and they're going to hear what a man says now fellas let's make sure that we make those men think that they can talk about anything but if they talk about anything in that black back book right there that nobody's going to want to listen to them. Nobody is going to care. Now listen, if they preach on any one of these 787,000 words, we know that there's going to be real problems because there's nothing that the devil fears more than when a people of God get under the Word of God and live by the truth of God. There ain't nothing that the devil fears more than when people become a doer of the Word and not a hearer only. What does that mean for those of you that have never been in church? That means you do what the Bible says to do and not just say amen, hallelujah, but when you walk out the door, you live according to that book right there. 66 books rule your life. 66 books, they control your attitude and they control your decisions. But this morning of the 787,000 words that are in that Bible right there, the devil and the demon said, now look, there's going to be some of those old, old, some of those old redneck preachers and they ain't going to be able to help it. They're not smart enough to pull out another psychology book. So they go open up that Bible. Now let's see. Let's think about the books and the verses that we can have them preach on that maybe nobody will get help. Now let me just stop, take me my first of three timeouts in the service right quickly and say I don't care if you preach on Genesis 1-1. I don't care if you preach on Revelation 22-21. If it comes out of that book right there, it's oil from another world and it's honey that flows from the rock and it will help somebody. But there are some messages that the devil says, all right, if I got to let them preach on that, I guess I'll let them preach on that right there. There are some of the messages that get over into Titus, and I mean, it's just as inspired, and they're just as good. But man, the devil would probably say, yeah, on a Sunday morning when all these people are here and all of them are watching unsaved people, people that really don't have anything to do with church, maybe you should just preach this morning on the, the thoughts of what a pastor should and should not do. I, that may help some of the people of God, but that's not really one that bothers me down to my core. And I think, Lord, that's probably not what the people of God are desiring to hear. So this morning, I'm not trying to make the devil mad, but I got a feeling that I have found me a well. And as I tap down into the well of the verse that I read, I imagine that if he had to pick any one of the 
thousand words that are in this Bible right here that the words that I just read in verse number 16 are among some of the most hated words that the devil will have to listen to again. So may I remind you of what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Why does the devil hate that verse so bad? Number one, because it tells us about the love of God. Isn't it amazing that this verse starts out and it does not start out with the creation of God. It does not start out with the holiness of God. It does not start out with the justice of God. It does not start out with the power of God. It starts out with the love of God. He says, for God so loved the world. Let's stop and take a couple little things right here and pick that apart. What is love? If you had to ask somebody what love is, you had to explain to somebody what love really is. Could you put into words what love really is? Let me say this very quickly. You realize that the presence of love in the world is the greatest indication that God is God and that he is the creator of all things because if this is all formed by evolution, evolution is supposed to have a principle in it called natural selection. And natural selection is the antithesis, the other side of love. You know what natural selection says? The strong will survive. Therefore, the weak will not survive. There's no love in that at all. There's no kindness in that at all. Therefore, the fact that people love and the fact that you and I know and feel that thing called love, it did not come from evolution. It came from a loving and a holy and a righteous God that put it inside of his creation and his creature. So what is love? I put a redneck definition on love. Maybe this will help you. It's that funny thing that makes you do funny things. Yeah, some of you old people don't even remember what I'm even talking about right now. I think what I'm going to do here at the church in about three weeks, I think I'm going to have Valentine's in June. I think it'd do some, I think it'd do some men good to start treating their wives with a little more love. And let me just stop, park my little Massey Ferguson right here and say I think it'd be a whole lot better for some of these women to start treating them men with some love. Oh, I feel the power of God stirring in my soul, boys. Now, here's what I'm telling you. What is it about love? I can't explain what love is. I can't define what love is. I could define it as empathy. I could define it as affection. I could define it as compassion. But it's far deeper than all of that. You know what love will make you do? Love will make you do things that you never thought that you would do. It'll make you say things you never thought you would say. It'll make you go places that you never thought you would go. But yet, let's take it down a little bit further. There are people in this room that I am empathetic toward. There are people in this room that I am compassionate over. But there's only just a few people that I really love. You know what that means? That means I'm willing to go to a level of sacrifice for those people that I am not willing to go for the rest of them. There are four people on this property right now. My wife, my two children, and my mother. Maybe my sister on a good day. But all those four people. And here's what love will make me do for those people. 
people. I would gladly walk in front of an oncoming train. I would gladly walk in front of a shot bullet. I'd gladly walk in front of them to save their life. You know why? Because love has made me do something. That thing down deep inside of me has made me do something. And can I tell you right now, there is a God in heaven that loved this world so very much that he was willing to do what nobody should ever do. Do what no man has ever done. He did not die for those people that love him. He died for those people that hated him. He died for those people that rejected him. He died for those people that disdained him. He died for those people that could care less about him. Oh, but the devil would love for you to focus on the justice of God, how that you're going to get what you deserve. He loved for me to tell you about the holiness of God, how your sin has separated you from a thrice holy God. But this morning, the verse he hates the most is the verse that tells you that God loves you. God died for you. God sacrificed for you. And he doesn't just say he loved me. It doesn't just say he loved the church. It says he loved this world. That's white people and black people. That's men and that's women. That's up and that's down. That's good and that's bad. That's Baptist and that's Methodist. That's whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. And this morning I remind you, your mama may not have loved you and your husband may not have loved you and your spouse may not have loved you and your parents may not have loved you, but there is a God in heaven this morning that loves you and is willing to do what no man would ever do and he's willing to die and give everything for you that you might have life. Can I tell you why the devil hates this verse? Because it tells you what God really thinks about you. There's something inside of you that thinks God thinks you're too dirty. God thinks you're too rotten. God thinks you've messed up too much. God thinks you've created too many problems. God thinks you've gone too many places. God thinks you're not rich enough. God thinks you're too poor. God thinks you've divorced too many times. God thinks you've messed up too many times. God thinks you've walked away too many times. God thinks you've messed up way too much. Can I remind you, love will make you do funny things and God didn't just figure out who you are. God did not just figure out what you've done long before you ever did the things that you did, long before you ever went the places you went, long before you ever made the decisions you made. God had already written His love on the cross of Calvary. He already gave His only begotten Son long before the world was ever formed. He had already shed the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil hates this verse because it tells you how much God loves you. Listen to me now. I know he loves me. I know he loves these. But do you know how much he loves you? No, no, no. I didn't say the person beside you. I didn't say sunshine in all her glory. I said you. The one whose mama hated her. The one whose daddy didn't care about her. The one whose family couldn't care less about him. The one whose kids won't call him on holidays. The one who's doing everything they can to make ends meet. God loves you. The one this morning that's messed up. 
The one this morning that's gone out there too far. The one that's gone over here and done far too many things. And now mama won't take your call. And daddy won't take your call. And nobody will hear you. God loves you. And the devil despises the fact that that verse is in the Bible because it tells you about the love of God. But number two, he goes on, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave. Number two, I'll tell you why the devil hates this verse. Because it tells us about the Lamb of God. Here's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. You know, right now, if that verse said that God had given the angels, the devil wouldn't mind that verse so bad. If the verse had said that God sent a preacher, the devil wouldn't mind it so bad. If the devil said that God had sent a group of deacons and had given the life of a people that went to church, the devil wouldn't hate that so bad. But God did not just go and get Michael the archangel. He didn't just go and get Gabriel the archangel. He did not just go and get the seraphim and the cherubim. When the time came to pay for your sin and to die your dead and to shed his blood for your wrong, he went to the very darling son of his own pyre. He went to the Lord Jesus Christ, the most wonderful thing, the most holy thing, the most righteous person, the most glorious person. This morning I have come to tell you that we have not come to worship a preacher today. We have not come to worship a denomination today. We have not come to sing songs to a people today. We have come this morning to tell you about the most wonderful person that has ever lived, the most wonderful person that has ever died, and the only only person that's ever come back out of that grave. You say, who is that one? I'll tell you who that one is. He's the son of Mary. He's the offspring of Mary. He's the son of the almighty God. Brothers and sisters in Matthew, Matthew said he is the king of the Jew. And Mark said he's the servant of mankind. Luke said he's the son of man. John said he's the son of God. Acts said he's the baptizer of fire. Romans said he is the justifier Corinthians said he is the sanctifier Galatians said he is our redeemer Ephesians said he is the head of the church Philippians said he is my joy Colossians says he is in all he is through all and he is above all Thessalonians said he is the king that is on the way Timothy said he is the mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus Titus said he is that faithful pastor Philemon said he's the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Hebrews said he's better than Moses. Hebrews said he's better than the angels. Hebrews said he's better than Aaron and Hebrews said he's got a better blood. Then you go over into James and James said he is our wisdom. Then you get over into Peter and Peter said he is our chief shepherd. He is our good shepherd. He is our great shepherd. Over in 1 John John says he's life. 2 John says that he's love and Third John says that he is the light. Get over into Jude, and Jude says he's the Lord coming with 10,000 upon 10,000 of his saints. And then John Wildman, beloved, said on the rock isle of Patmos, over in the book of the Revelation, he said he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's the one walking through the council state. He's the one with the lampstand. He's the light of God. He's the hope of God. He's the truth of God. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's the savior of the world. He's God's help. He's God's hope. He's God's light. He's God's truth. He's my Savior. He's my God. He's my Lord. And He's come looking for you today. You say, I tried church. I ain't talking to you about church. 
I don't care about church. I care about Jesus. I don't care about any of that. I care about Jesus. I, I, I've tried baptism. I, you ain't no fish. I ain't talking to you about baptism. I'm talking to you about Jesus. You say, I've tried tithing. I ain't no banker. I ain't talking to you about money. I'm talking to you about Jesus. You say, I've tried singing. It's an American Idol. I ain't talking to you about music. I'm talking to you about Jesus Christ. I don't want to know what you've done with music. I don't want to know what you've done with water baptism. I don't want to know what you've done with your tithe. I want to know what have you done with the darling son of the almighty living God, the Lord Jesus Christ. What have you done with Christ? I've said this before. I'll say it to you again. You realize you don't go to hell because you're a sinner? You go to hell because you reject Jesus Christ. Because on the cross, all sins were paid for. 1 John 2, 2, and he's the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. You realize there's millions upon billions of people in hell right now who don't have to be there. You say, how do you know you go to hell because you reject Jesus Christ? John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son hath life, and he that believeth not is condemned already. So don't talk to me about how a preacher hurts you. Jesus ain't never done nothing but good to you. Don't talk to me how you've been through a church split. Church ain't never done nothing for you. The Lord Jesus Christ has done it all. And let me tell you something. If a church has hurt you, it pales in the comparison about what Jesus has done for you. And if you're here today and you've been through a church hurt, I am so sorry. It is absolutely wretched. It's absolutely awful. It's absolutely terrible. I know your heart was broken. I know your family was ripped apart. I know your mind was ripped apart. But the Lord's not the one who did that. The devil did that. So the best thing you can do is get yourself in a congregation where Jesus is preached and people are loved and he's lifted up high and poke the devil in the eyeball, tell him where he can go back to and live your life to the loving Lamb of God. God Almighty. That's how you live your life. I'll tell you why God loves this verse and the devil hates it because it tells us about the love of God. Then it tells us about the Lamb of God. But number three, it tells us about the longing of God. Watch what he says. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave. That's the love of God. Then he says he gave his only begotten son. That's the Lamb of God. But then number three, he says that whosoever believeth in him. That's the longing of God. That's the longing of God. You say, what does God want from me? People ask me that all the time. Preacher, I don't know what God wants from me. I will give you the answer right now. He wants you to believe Him. He wants you to believe Him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why would God do all of that? That whosoever believeth in him. Have you ever wondered why it is the devil puts you through the torment he puts you through? And then blames God. God's the reason you're dealing with that sickness. No, sin is the reason we deal with sickness. It ain't God's fault. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He's trying to undo all this stuff sin's done. What does God want? What? He wants us to believe Him. 
Why would the devil split your mom and daddy up? Why would the devil wreck your marriage? Why would the devil rip your kids away from you? Because he knows that every obstacle he can put in your way is another thing that you'll try to blame on God and try to give you another reason as to why you can't trust God. He despises this verse because the verse says that whosoever believeth in him. I got two babies right now, two little ones. Can I tell you what I want for my babies? They're in children's church right now. They'll never hear this, but I want you to tell you what I want for my kids. I don't want my kids to buy me anything. I don't want my kids to make me anything. I don't want my kids to sing my praises. You know what I want my kids to do? I want my kids to trust me. You know what God wants from you, child of God? He wants you to trust Him. He wants you to believe Him. He wants you to walk on water because He said, Come unto me. He wants you to reach forth a withered hand just because He told you to. He wants you to walk that place where you've been laying because He told you to. He wants you to step out in faith and do that thing because you believe Him. Not because it makes sense. Not because it's what everybody's told you to do. But because God told you to do it and you trust God. That's what God wants. That's all God wants from you. God don't want your money. God don't want anything other than your trust. Who is in the house today that's been battling God, saying, God, if you want me to do it, just tell me. He just did. All He wants you to do is trust Him. But can I tell you why the devil hates that verse? Number four, because it tells us about the life of God. Look at what it says at the end of the verse. It says that whosoever believeth in him, here it is, should not perish, but have everlasting life. People always say, they say the problem with Christianity is it's a crutch religion. It's just something you lean on because you're afraid to die. They're wrong. It ain't a crutch religion. It's a wheelchair religion. It's a hospital bed religion. It is a religion. I'm not dependent on it to lean on and walk through. I'm dependent to sit down in it and have me ushered across the river. That's what kind of religion Christianity is. I'm not just putting my arm on it. I'm putting my entire person on it. I got two stories I'd love to tell right now. I think I'll reach up and just tell you the one I'm thinking about the most. I tell this, I love this story. It's my favorite. What does the life of God do? You say, what's going to happen to you when you die? When I die, I'm going to be alive. How does that operate? I don't have any idea. I can't explain it. But I can try to give you a story about it. There was a little lady. And this precious little mama had two babies. She had one little baby who was about five years old and then a little boy who was roughly about two years old. The mother contracted cancer that metastasized and spread from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. The doctor told her little husband, he said, ma'am, make the best of everything you can do, buddy. Go ahead and celebrate Christmas now. Go ahead and celebrate birthdays now. Go ahead and do everything you can right now because she won't be here much longer. Little daddy was broken, shattered on the inside. The night finally came when 
The death angel walked into a room, but she was a little believer. And all of a sudden, before the death angel could touch her, she closed her eyes and breathed her last breath, and she was gone. Two days after she passes away, the night comes for the visitation wake. There at the front of the little church, there's a pine box, all the little daddy could afford. Hundreds of people come walk the aisles and they go right by the little pine box and the daddy's standing on one side. And on the other side is the little five-year-old girl and her little two-year-old brother. People came by them trying to console the little children, the daddy heartbroken, crying, weeping tears, and the little children not understanding as it appeared anything going on. The day, the night came, the casket was getting ready to be closed, the people had left. The daddy went and told the little girl, the five-year-old, and said, Come on, honey, come kiss your mama goodbye. They picked the little girl up, and they put the little girl, the five-year-old, and leaned her over the casket, and she kissed her mama on her head and said, Mama, bye-bye. You've been a good mama, and I love you. The daddy put the little girl, daddy couldn't even breathe. He was sobbing so hard. And he picked the little two-year-old up, and he told the little boy, he said, son, as much as you, he was trying to explain it, he said, son, kiss your mama goodbye. And he leaned down to put the little boy in there so he could kiss the mama goodnight. And he touched the little mama on the head and he went, the daddy just wept. He said, daddy, further. He leaned down and he went, did it again. And he said, daddy, further and he got down there and he kissed his mama on the lips and this is what the two year old said Frankie he said good night mama I'll see you in the morning that's what life in Jesus Christ does when we lay them in the ground and put them in their boxes and lower them down beneath the lead casket vault and the undertaker says, say goodbye. The child of God does not say goodbye. The child of God does not say farewell. We look into that lid as they close that lid and we say, sir, we say, ma'am, mama, daddy, loved one, good night because I'll see you again in that great resurrection morning. I remind the child of God. The devil hates what that verse says because it tells you that this is not all there is. It proclaims something that the devil will never know. The devil doesn't know anything but death and depravity. The devil doesn't know anything but fear and hopelessness. But this morning we have hope because we are not miserable. We have hope because we have Jesus Christ and we have life everlasting that shall go beyond this life. And that's why the devil hates that verse the most.